Hello and welcome to the PVPA podcast. I'm Sarisha Gunta, staff attorney with the Pro Bono Partnership of Atlanta. Thanks for joining us today as we talk about managing your remote workers, which is a new work environment for many nonprofits these days. Here to answer some questions and share her expertise with us is attorney and dedicated PVPA volunteer, Val Russ. Thank you for joining us, Val. Good to be here. So to our audience, I'd like to tell you a little bit about the Pro Bono Partnership of Atlanta. PBPA strengthens our community by engaging volunteer attorneys to provide nonprofits with free business legal services. For more information on who is eligible to be a client or to apply for consideration, please visit our website. Our website also has resources like articles and webcasts and previous podcasts that are specific to Georgia nonprofits and their business legal concerns. Check it out at pvpatl.org. And as you listen to Val's information today, please keep in mind that this podcast is general information. It is not specific legal counsel. Be sure to contact your attorney for guidance on your specific question. So Val, let's begin by talking about day-to-day management concerns. Do you have recommendations for monitoring employee productivity and communications in this virtual environment? Sure. If your employees are using an email server or a computer system provided by your organization, hopefully you already have a clear policy that reminds them that there's no expectation of privacy there. So if you want, you could look at employee emails and other system use to monitor productivity. If you don't have a policy, you might want to think about implementing one. Um, PVPA can certainly help you with that. But really, you can also just send an email telling or maybe reminding folks, you know, that work emails, networks, computers, those are all property of the organization and are subject to monitoring at any time. That might be worthwhile right now, even if you have a policy, just to make sure it's top of mind for your folks. You just want to be sure any monitoring you do is fair, right? You can single folks out based on legitimate work-related reasons. You know, maybe they aren't checking in with you enough or it seems like their work is falling behind. But you don't want to be accused of discrimination based on who you look into and who maybe you don't. But you definitely still want to make sure your employees understand that they have to accurately and completely report their time worked each week too at least for your non-exempt folks, um, usually hourly non-management staff, and to help employers avoid overtime surprises. I always suggest a policy or rule that requires non-exempt employees to get manager permission before working overtime. That's probably even more important right now because we're not working together in person, so it's much harder to directly monitor working time. Okay, and can you speak a bit more about keeping track of hours that are worked by employees working from home? Sure, the FLSA, the Fair Labor Standards Act, applies to nearly every employer, large and small, and it sets rules for minimum wage, overtime pay, record keeping, and child labor. So usually overtime pay is the biggest operational issue for employers and nonprofits, which often goes hand in hand with the record keeping piece. So when we're not coming into a physical office or worksite together, it's even more important to make sure your employees understand what you want and what you need from them as far as their timekeeping and work schedule. 
there's no required form or format necessarily, but each week you want to be sure you have a complete and accurate record of all actual hours worked by non-exempt staff. Again, these are the folks paid by the hour, non-professional and non-managerial employees. If you can use the same system you were using when folks were going on site, um, that's great. I mean, keep doing that. There's no reason to change it up. Uh, but if you were using a time clock, say, or you know, a punch card or a physical sign-in sheet, you will need to think about an alternative reliable way for your folks to keep track of their time. If they have to log into a specific work-related network or system to do their work, that can be one of the ways uh, that could help you keep track. You can also ask folks just to send a sign-in and sign-off email or text or something um, when they start and end work. You can even ask them to do that when they go on breaks if necessary. And then maybe ask them to send a summary email uh, of their weekly hours at the end of the work week so you can compare, compare those if you need to. There's also, there's actually lots of applications out there for time tracking as well. There's one, Clockify, that's free to use. That might work for some employers. Use technology to your advantage if you can these days. I would say most importantly, it's, it's important to have clear communication with your work from home staff about what you expect. They are supposed to record all time worked completely and accurately, even if they end up working overtime, even unapproved overtime. Again, my best advice is to clearly communicate that while any and all overtime will be paid properly, all staff should get written permission before working overtime. And of course, the result of not following that policy is not that your folks don't get paid for the work, because that's unlawful, but an employee could face disciplinary action if they consistently work unapproved overtime or are not accurately reporting their time. And you know, check yourself too as a leader and manager, just to make sure your own communications and timing aren't making or encouraging your folks to work outside of expected hours. Okay, that's great information and great to know that there are so many options for keeping track of hours. But what happens if an employee is injured while working from home? Yeah, this is a tough one for all employers, large and small, because you know we can't have every employee's home workspace inspected to make sure it meets our safety standards. And we can't realistically buy every single employee a setup that would replicate you know, what's on site or in the office. So I would say, I mean, it's probably worth considering whether it's safe and operationally feasible to let folks maybe borrow certain things from the work site that might help them, you know, an ergonomic desk chair or a keyboard maybe, any protective equipment they may have used at work, things like that. If you're able to let them borrow their work equipment, you just want to have some written communication about that, just clarifying the equipment still belongs to the organization, it's on loan, it'll be returned. Again, you don't need any magic words here, just a plain English message about what they can borrow, how they can safely get it, and that it still belongs to the organization and will be returned. I'd also be sure you've reviewed your workers' comp policy to understand whether it would cover an on-the-job injury that occurs off-premises. You should obviously work with your carrier to understand what your policy will and won't cover and possibly update it if necessary. As an employer, you really want your workers' comp policy to cover any work-related injury or illness because that becomes the employee's exclusive remedy meaning they can't sue you as the employer for financial damages. So you really do want good coverage there. And I'd say also with this, 
communication with your employees is important. Let them know that you want and expect them to have a safe working environment at home and to tell you if they don't think they can do that so you can start a dialogue about it. And also remind them if they're injured while working, they still need to report it to the organization immediately, still need to seek appropriate medical attention and follow doctor's orders, just like they would if they were injured at work. And now a question about technology and security. If employees are regularly using office-issued technology outside of the office, or maybe even their own personal devices for work, do you have recommendations for IT security? This is another one lots of employers are struggling with. I'd start with your confidentiality policy if you have one. See if maybe you can just remind folks of their obligations under that and whether that might be enough or whether you might need to tweak that policy or implement one if you don't have one to cover some work from home scenarios. It can also help to just remind folks of some common sense things. Make sure their home Wi-Fi network has a password. If they're now using their own uh, home computer for work, make sure that also has a password. Maybe make sure the kids aren't using any computer you're using for work for their Fortnite games or whatever it is they're doing. Some computers allow for multiple user profiles. So if your employees are maybe using a shared home computer, you could ask them to set up a work user profile, which can also help. Um, they can Google how to do that if they're not familiar with it. And if your office doesn't have or use VPN, a virtual private network, uh, there are some free VPN services out there that provide basic security features that might be helpful. You can usually find those with a quick Google as well. Separately, if your folks have access to confidential material on paper, which some folks do, uh, it's worth a discussion there about how those can be kept safe too, maybe in a locked file cabinet in the home, um, if that's possible or even just sort of hidden somewhere out of reach. Again, kids, any other wandering eyes, just wanna make sure that stuff is secured. And you should also think about and talk to folks about proper disposal of any paper documents. You know, does your staff maybe need a shredder? Or can you just tell folks, you know, look, remember to tear up confidential material before you recycle it or throw it away. Maybe even distribute the pieces in different bins of trash or something, you know, just low tech um, solutions that can help protect confidential information. But just make sure your employees have that top of mind and are being careful with confidential documents or materials at home. Val, should a nonprofit adopt a work from home policy now or get signed remote working agreements from employees or contractors? Maybe, I mean, that's the lawyer answer to everything, right? Maybe. I think, you know, depending how likely your organization is to remain remote in the longer term, or also you might want to think ahead to, you know, would your future plans be to close temporarily if there are cases on site? PVPA lawyers can for sure help you work through that uh, if you want to have a policy. And even if you had a remote work policy before COVID, it may be that that policy might not be the same as what you need for a COVID-specific uh, arrangement. So you might want to tweak any current policy you have too. And look, it may be that a, a formal policy won't work. I mean, there's so much uncertainty these days and things seem to change almost hourly, you know, which doesn't necessarily lend itself to static policy making. But that doesn't mean you can't still give it active, helpful guidance to your staff. 
you know, you can have regular written communication along the way about expectations and operations as those are evolving and changing. Now, as with any policy, guidance, practice, even if it's a temporary thing, it needs to be applied fairly to everyone to avoid potential discrimination claims, of course. And look, we'd all like a lot more certainty these days, uh, but if we can't have that, we can at least keep the communication channels open, be transparent. You know, sometimes as leaders, that level of honesty goes a long way in building trust and respect among the team, and that, that might work better than any policy right now. Yeah, that's very true. And speaking of things not remaining consistent, what happens if some workers are on site, but some remain remote? What should a nonprofit keep in mind in that situation? Yeah, the legal potential, the legal issues there could be tricky. The key is to really be clear about the reasons some folks might be on site while others are not. There should be a legitimate operational reason for the different treatment. Like all terms and conditions of work, this could end up being a discrimination or retaliation issue. Um, and even if you don't necessarily intend it or realize it, just be thoughtful about whether the folks on site may ultimately get more opportunity for advancement somehow, maybe because they're more visible or they're doing more meaningful or impactful work just because they are on site that maybe folks working from home now won't have the opportunity to do. It doesn't mean you can't have some folks on site and others at home. You just need to be thoughtful about how you ensure that even unintentional impacts can be addressed and mitigated there. And, and you may have to make exceptions too to a policy requiring certain folks to be on site, like for medical reasons that rise to the level of a disability. And you may find that when you start asking folks to return, you might open up some delicate discussions that may not have been an issue before. You know, an employee with chronic asthma may never have disclosed that to you before, but now it's becoming an issue. And then, of course, there's the matter of safety. You want to be sure your office or workplace is complying with the latest, you know, state and federal safety guidelines, including social distancing, PPE, contact tracing abilities if necessary, all that, all that fun and complicated stuff we have to do when we uh, get working together again these days. And would an employer need to reimburse an employee for expenses related to working from home? And let me throw out a few different examples here. What if network had to be upgraded at home in order to work remotely? Or printer, ink, and paper? Or an ergonomic workstation? So Georgia law does not require employers to reimburse work from home expenses. So technically, there's no state requirement that you do that, no. Now, the US Department of Labor did issue an advisory back in March reminding employers that they can't make employees who work from home pay for expenses to the extent that it might put them below the federal minimum wage. So it is worth keeping that in mind if you're paying some folks minimum wage. For some of your examples, so let's say you are paying someone minimum wage and then you ask them to upgrade their home network for work you're probably going to need to reimburse them for that to ensure you're complying with the minimum wage law. Otherwise, you're not really under a legal obligation to reimburse them, really. Um, you may want to consider whether it ends up making the employee more productive such that it's actually worth the investment to you. Or you could meet the employee halfway, pay for half the cost of the upgrade. I mean, 
where the law doesn't require it, it's really just more of an operational and maybe a morale consideration for you and your staff. What up? Printer ink and paper. Um, so that might be a minimal expense, you know, maybe you ask employees to bear that unless it becomes excessive. Uh, and hey, maybe that helps discourage too much printing and helps out with the confidential documents piece, you know, um, as well as saving some trees. But, you know, say you have someone who needs to print at home and may, they don't even own their own printer. You know, you might want to reimburse them for that initial expense. Or maybe the organization buys the printer and loans it to the employee, as we mentioned earlier. Again, there's not a legal obligation here, really just something to consider operationally. And so long as you have a legitimate business or operational reason that maybe someone needs a printer and someone else doesn't, again, you can provide the printer for one employee and not the other as long as you have a rational basis for it. What else? Oh, the ergonomic workstation, that's an interesting one. That could be pricey, um, but unlike your other examples, that one could be required by law if it's an accommodation for someone with a disability. So I would say if someone asks for that for comfort or convenience, the employer probably doesn't have to reimburse for it. But if that sort of turns into a discussion about a chronic injury or a condition, you will want to get legal advice about your obligations there. And now let's talk about new employees. Some organizations are in a position where they find themselves needing to onboard new employees remotely. What responsibilities does the employer have to its new remote employees? Well, the biggest legal issue here has been how to handle E-Verify and Form I-9s for new employees because there's an in-person documentation requirement there. That has been in flux. The DHS has relaxed the in-person document inspection rules through August 19th as of now, um, but that'll be here before we know it. So I would constantly check the US CIS or DHS websites for the latest on that, um, just to make sure that we are still operating under those relaxed regulations, because obviously the in-person review requirement is the stickiest one. As for operational onboarding, I'd say just be thoughtful about how to train and integrate new employees in the remote environment. If you normally have in-person training, but you can't do that right now, cover what you can remotely but also be sure you've set out a plan and communicated it to your new employee for how to follow up on necessary in-person training later. If you need to issue equipment, again, get creative, consider where there's a safe way to do that without requiring the employee to come on site. Maybe they can drive up and someone places the equipment in their trunk or certain things could be mailed like an access badge or your handbook if it's not online. Um, and also, I'd say try not to overlook new employee integration and team morale. You know, if you'd normally have a team lunch or something social, you know, to welcome someone, don't neglect that altogether. I mean, maybe do a team Zoom or coffee, one-on-one uh, -on -one video chats with the team with no agenda except to just kind of welcome and get to know the new person, extra phone check-ins maybe to make sure that they feel supported and seen, you know, we've, we've got to get creative these days, but we want our new folks to feel like they're part of the team. Val, thank you for answering these questions about managing virtual employees. We really appreciate you sharing your expertise with us and this great practical advice. And to our audience, thank you for listening. We hope you found this general information to be helpful. 
If you have specific questions about your nonprofit, you should reach out to your attorney to discuss. Thank you.